Amen. Lord, you are our hope. Lord, you're the reason that we live and move and breathe. And Lord, we ask as we go to your word right now, Lord, again, that your Holy Spirit would just prepare each and every one of us for what you have for us tonight. May we be encouraged. May we be exhorted. May we be strengthened in the most holy faith. Lord, I pray it would provoke us to action. Lord, we leave here, Lord, with a, a hunger and a desire to walk in the center of your will, to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would speak. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to see you. Well, tonight, last night, uh, pray for my son, my youngest son, Mark. Last night we spent the evening in the uh, emergency room at the hospital. He was bit in the face by a dog. He had 14 stitches. So pray for him. He's as big as I am, but he's still my baby boy, you know. So, that being said, not a lot of sleep and not a lot of study time. So, turn your Bibles to Judges 14. We're going to look at the, you've heard this before, uh, if you've been coming here for any length of time. Uh, We looked at it a few years back when we were going through the Old Testament. Um, We'll be back. Now, I will say this, I'm hesitant to do this, but I'll do it. Next week, we have a guest speaker. We don't do that very often, but my pastor, John Snodderly, who's the one that God used to really uh, just disciple me, outside of my own parents, probably has had the greatest impact on my life of any man I've ever met, and uh, I'm really excited he's going to come and share here next Wednesday night. So I really want you to please, you know, don't, oh, substitute teacher, don't do that. Show up. (laughs) Amen. Show up. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be blessed. I'm looking forward to having him here, so it'll be great. All right. So I struggled tonight. I was down the last minute, a couple different texts to teach from. And, and I love this picture. I love this text that we see here because where there's so many things we can learn, so many pra- practical applications. Uh, if you're a note taker tonight, I titled the message, Compromise the Enemy of Calling. And here's the truth. If you're in here this, in this, this evening and you are born again, God has a calling upon your life. And one of the things that will keep you from the calling God has for your life is compromise. And so we're going to see as we move through the text three things that Samson, three areas of compromise in his life that we can all learn from. First of all, being led by the flesh and not by the spirit. You know, God has called us, the Holy Spirit draws us, and then we can make the mistake of, or the rebellious act of walking in the flesh and not succumbing to the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit. Walking in direct disobedience to the Word of God. It seems so sad that we'd even have to make that a point, but sadly so many of us do it every single day. Amen? Word of God is very clear, and we walk in direct disobedience to it. And then finally, taking His vow of separation lightly. God has called all of us to be in the world, but not of the world. To be separated from the world. We see this example in Samson. So to give us some background before we get into the text, as you've got the outline, judges, you know, is not guys in black robes in the Bible. They are today, certainly, but in the Bible, these were God's appointed deliverers, men called by God to deliver them out of bondage. Seven times in the book of Judges, you see them go through the same pattern over a 400-year period of time. Seven times they went through this pattern. God had delivered them from their enemy. The judge-deliverer that had, God had used dies. They would go right back into serving the false gods of this world. After serving the false gods, God would, and they cried out to God, God would bring a deliverer who would take them out of bondage again, you know, and take them away from the false worship they had fallen into and deliver them yet again. They would begin to walk with the Lord. And then after some time, the deliverer would die and they would go right back into serving the false gods of the world and becoming idolaters yet again. Happened seven times in the book of Judges. And so for all of us, we may feel like that's a description of our life sometimes. Walking with God and then, you know, things are going well. He delivers us from the latest disaster that made us desperate for him. And now things are pretty good again and we're not so desperate financially or the health issues aren't as bad anymore or the the trials with our kids or whatever they might be and now we don't seem to be as desperate and and we don't cry out to him as much and we start to rest in ourselves and then God allows us when we get into our flesh to fall back into a place of judgment now the man in tonight's text 
is an enigma to me. Because he is a man called by God. And he is listed in God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Which amazes me. But it also encourages me to let me know that God can use even me. If he can take a guy like Samson and put him in, God's, in his hall of faith. The Lord himself came to his barren parents as Israel was at the height of its rebellion against God, having returned yet again into worship of the false idols of Canaan. Even after four godly judges had come along and led them through 31 years of peace, they had entered into 40 years of Philistine bondage because they had walked away from God. So God shows up to his parents, says that Samson was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He was called by God to deliver them out of bondage to the Philistines. It was something he knew. He had been taught by his parents. He had been filled with the Spirit from the day he was born. This is your calling. Here's your calling. This is the the calling God has on your life. We're in bondage now, and God has called you to deliver us out. He was called to live a life separated unto God from the day he was born. It says that he was that he took the Nazarite vow. Now the Nazarite vow, Nazar means to separate. And Samson was set apart from the world and set apart unto service unto the Lord. Now, the word vow there is more than a promise to try and do the best I can. But in Samson's case, this was to be an unbreakable bond for a lifetime. So this vow was made from the day he was born that he was set apart by God to be the deliverer that would take them out, the judge that would take them away from the bondage that they were in to the Philistines. Now the specifics of this vow are found in number six. Let me tell you the three main things that we see. And this vow usually was for a specific purpose, a specified purpose, and and usually for a length of time, a month, a year, a ten years. But for a few of them, it was for a lifetime. And Samson was one. Possibly John the Baptist and Samuel as well. But Samson had the Nazarite vow. And here are the three attributes of the Nazarite vow. Before we go into the text. Because you're going to see why these are significant. First, he was to separate himself from wine and similar drink. He was not to have anything to do with alcohol. Not to allow anything to intoxicate him. As a matter of fact, Samson's mom was commanded by the Holy Spirit not to drink while she was pregnant. The Bible says in Proverbs 20 that wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 31 says it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink. Ephesians 5 says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, giving the qualifications of a pastor, it says not given to wine. Here's what wine does. It lowers our inhibition. It gives control over to our fleshly desires. It's not by chance that people like to go out and get liquored up when they want to meet people. Why? Because it lowers the inhibition. It makes them, you know, I, when I was playing football in college, uh, you know, I'd see my friends drunk and they looked so stupid. And I would tell them, you know, I would love to, you know, back then you didn't have video cameras and, boy, you know, video phones and all that kind of stuff. Because you just act ridiculous. Why? Because you have lowered, there's no conviction. Even for an unsaved world, you know, the Holy Spirit is with them. And they call him their conscience. He's not in them, but he's with them. And it just dumbs down the conscience. It dumbs down conviction. For a man or a woman set apart to serve God, this must not be so. We must not dumb down the Holy Spirit. We must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so as he had taken the Nazarite to be separated vow, he was to have nothing to do with alcohol. We could go through many, many stories, but one that comes to mind is Noah, a godly man who heeded God's word. He withstood 120 years of persecution while building the ark. But after the flood, he got drunk and was uncovered in his tent. Alcohol had brought him to a place that he would have never gone apart from drinking. So for a Nazarite vow, just to make sure that nobody was confused, just in case they weren't looking for a loophole, it was no wine, no grape juice, no vinegar, no grapes, no seeds, no skins. Why? Because God knows our tendencies. What do we do? Well, it's not really wine. It's kind of like wine, but there's some whole grapes in there, so it's, we'll call it jam or whatever, right? And we'll find a way to skirt God's... And he said, no, 
no, no grapes, no skins, no seeds, no nothing. You're not to drink any of it, have nothing to do with it. We'll see why that's significant in a moment. Don't compromise or attempt to find a loophole for sin. Stay as far away from it as you can. Amen? Those who want to be used by God, be separated unto Him, must have a clear mind, not impacted by wine or strong drink or drugs or anything, or, or prescription drugs. Just because someone gave you a prescription for it, if it's altering your mind and you are addicted to it, it is sin. Amen? doesn't matter who wrote the prescription. You want to live a life set apart to God to serve Him in ministry. Stay from that which will make you forget the Word or quiet the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So number one, in the Nazarite vow, separate himself from wine and similar drink. Again, wine and desire to be used by God, don't go together. Stay far away from anything that intoxicates you. Now, real quick, quickly, if you have a conviction that you can have a glass of wine with dinner and you don't drink to get intoxicated, that's certainly between you and the Lord, okay? But for Samson, it was not to be so. And for pastors, I believe today, Pastor Day's opinion, not to be so. First Timothy chapter 3, not given to wine, period. I don't drink alcohol at all. It's a conviction, I believe, that it lines up with the Word of God. The second thing was, along with separating himself from wine and similar drink, was he was to let his hair grow long. Now this was a mark or an identification with his vow to be separated unto God. It was a public vow, easily identifiable to everyone who saw him. For us today, you know, if you want to have long hair, that's between you and God. But here's the thing that it really points to for us is as Christians, we need to be clearly identified with Jesus Christ. Not undercover, not hiding our faith, but on record. On record. And you know, you know, Christian fisher in your car and wearing a Christian t-shirt and carrying your Bible, but even more importantly, living a life sold out and set apart unto God. A life that loves people and lives godly. Amen? And we should be that way. And in his case, this was a mark to let everybody know he had taken the Nazarite vow. He was the man set apart unto service of the Lord. Again, we're not to be undercover Christians. It says in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So separated from wine, clear mind, focused on God. Let his hair grow long, be identifiable, let your light so shine. And then thirdly, and I'm going through all this because we're going to see it in the text, he was to be separated from the dead. He was to go nowhere near a dead body, not to touch them. He was not to attend a funeral. Any Israelite who did would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. And a Nazarite, it would result in the breaking of their vow. So he was to be separated from the dead, from death, from the world. The Bible tells us we're to witness to the world, but have no fellowship with it. We're not to hang around where the corpses are. Amen? He wasn't to hang out where dead people were. At all. We're not to be entertained by dead people. Amen? You know, I don't part participate in that sin. I just watch it. I just take God's money and go watch it. Guys, we shouldn't be participating and being entertained by the very sins that Christ died for. Amen? And this man with a Nazarite vow was to go nowhere near death. Compromise never leads others to Christ. It blows our testimony. Luke 14 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Our love for others should be hatred in comparison to our love for God. Think about how much you love those on, on this earth, and your love for God should dwarf it. Amen? That's hard for parents, isn't it? But I love my kids. Yes, and you should. But love God more. And if you love God more, you're going to love your kids more. Amen? And you're going to love them with the right kind of love. So to help Samson walk in obedience to his vow, God had given him godly parents. I know I'm giving you a big backdrop here. We're going to go through the text. But when we do, I want you to see all this. Because you need to understand, the Nazarite vow, godly parents, raised with it, known the truth, walking in it, God gave Samson godly parents who had seen Jesus face to face, had seen his glory ascend in the flame of the altar, fell on their faces before God. The Lord blessed him. The Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. His name means bright light or sunny, and he was to be God's man to bring back light to, into darkness. 
And as we come into tonight's text, Samson seems to have it all going for himself. Uniquely called by God. A child of unbelievable promise. Divinely equipped by God. Godly parents. God's word in a Nazarite vow to direct him. The Lord's blessing upon him. The Holy Spirit moving in him. A champion with undefeatable power. But with all that Samson had going for him, his life would fall short because he was a man of unreliable character. Guys, we can have the greatest calling upon our lives and completely miss it if we compromise. Instead of following God with our whole hearts, we allow ourselves to be caught up in the things of this world. Nothing can quench the calling, equipping, empowering, and gifting of God quicker than a self-centered, flesh-driven will of man succumbing to the world's temptations. And Samson's going to be an object lesson for us of a man or a woman who can be uniquely called, divinely equipped, spiritually empowered, and then live a life because of compromise that is fruitless and has little impact on eternity. So that brings us to the text, and you'll see why as we go through it, why all those things are significant. The context brings greater understanding. So, compromise, the enemy of calling. Three areas of compromise. The first one, being led by the flesh, not by the Spirit. Verse 1 of Judges 14. Now Samson went down, and yes, he did. He literally went down. He went down physically, but as we're about to see, he went down spiritually. And it says he went down to Timnah. Now, Timnah is a city located within Philistine territory. Since his birth, Samson was called by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to deliver Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. So he should have had nothing to do with them except when he was doing battle with them. But Samson went into the camp of the enemy. Now, you got to understand, when he walked into the Philistine camp, you know what he was going to see? Open idolatry, immorality all around him, behavior in an environment that should have repulsed this man of God, the judge and deliverer of Israel. Instead of being repulsed by the behavior, Samson was enticed. Can I encourage you, if you start hanging out in that environment, be it on your TV screen or be it in the books you read or the places that you go, you're going to find yourself if you stay there too long, instead of being repulsed by it, being enticed by it. Guys, it's only as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that the things of this world will bring not enticement, but repulsion. We'll look at it and we'll say, oh Lord, help. When we put ourselves into such ungodly environments, our flesh is always enticed. And we must learn, like Joseph, to flee youthful lust, not give in to it. Guys, we don't see how close we can come to the world without falling off a cliff. Instead, we should say, Lord, let me get as far away from that and as close to you as I can. Samson's flesh aroused as he walks through the camp. His curiosity is piqued. His flesh is wanting to be fed. He seeks to feed his fleshly desires. Israel's deliverer is an enemy territory. Instead of conquering, he's carousing. Look at the rest of the verse. He went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. He went down and saw a woman. This is a capsule of Samson's life. This is it right here. You've heard me say it before. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. He was a guy who this was, along with other downfalls, this is going to bring about the end of him. No doubt he saw many women, but notice he saw a woman. There was a particular woman that caught his eye. What was so special about this woman? She was on fire for God. She was leading a Bible study. She was entering the people into praise. Is that what's happening? He's down in Philistine territory that's filled with idolatry and filled with immorality. In the midst of that, no doubt a woman, we don't know, but no doubt clad in a way that got his attention. And when he saw her, oh, that was intoxicating to him. 
He was hanging out where he shouldn't have been. His flesh was aroused, was now leading the way, and now he's being moved not by the Lord, not by the Spirit, not even by spiritual love, but by lust. Notice again, she's of the daughters of the Philistines. These are the very people God had called Samson to destroy and deliver Israel from. A pagan, immoral, and idolatrous people. And instead of bringing about victory over them, he's being enticed by them. Just like us, we're to walk in victory over the temptations of the flesh, not entice them. Verse 2. So he went up and told his father and mother saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her for me as a wife. He goes to his mom and dad, and these are the first recorded words of Samson in the Bible. The man whose calling was announced to his parents even before his birth by the Lord himself, the Lord's blessing upon him, set apart to God, Holy Spirit moving upon him. What great, profound, and noble words of godly wisdom come flowing from his lips. Woman, get her for me. Samson. I've seen a woman of the... Go get her for me. Samson moved by the lust of the flesh, not the leading of the Spirit. How much prayer we see going on here? None. He goes down. And sees a woman, doesn't seek godly counsel, doesn't seek the Lord, moved only by his flesh, woman, get her for me. Now, in those days, parents were the ones to make arrangements for marriage. And notice he doesn't seek the counsel of his godly parents, but driven by the fever pitch of lust, simply demands they go and get him what he wants. Not what the Lord wills, what I want. Just... Next time you say, I want, think about what you're about to say after that. It ought to be not I want, but the Lord wills. If we can't say the Lord wills, then we shouldn't want it. Amen? Now that's easier said than done. We all know that. But none of this would have happened had he been hanging out, not been hanging out in the enemy, enemy territory. You're not likely to meet the one God has for you in a bar. Amen? Amen, that was weak. Amen? Amen? Too often I have people, you know, people come and say, yeah, I met this great girl, she's wonderful. Where'd you meet her? Um, at a restaurant. <laughs> really? You're just like having dinner and she was sitting next to you? What happened? Well, there was, you know, uh, uh, music at this restaurant and, and dancing and alcohol. Well, yeah, I think probably some, I, yeah, I didn't touch, but yeah, there might have been. Hey, guys. That's not what we want to do. You know what? Let's let God bring us our spouse. Let us not strive in the flesh. Let's not go down into the Philistine territory to find the woman God has for us because it's not going to happen that way. And that's exactly what happens with Samson. He's in the wrong place, being led by the wrong spirit, not by the spirit of the Lord, but by his flesh. He's simply being led by his flesh. So compromise the enemy of calling Samson, being led by his flesh, not by the spirit. And then two, walking in direct disobedience to the word of God. Look at what it says in verse 3. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Word up, mom and dad. Hey, Samson, aren't there any of the children of Israel? Aren't there any of those who are following out the true and living God? Hey, isn't there a Christian woman, Bobby, for you? Isn't there a Christian man, Susie, for you? Do you have to go find one in the world? Guys, that never is a good... Now again, God can take even the most ungodly beginning and redeem it. But that's not where we should be looking to begin, amen? Because we gotta understand something. God knows what he's talking about. He's a lot smarter than us. Amen? And then he noticed, she says, uncircumcised. I love that. The uncircumcised Philistines. Circumcision was a covenant between man and God. They have no covenant with God. You are going amongst the people who have no covenant with God, who are idol worshipers, who are the enemies that God has raised you up to conquer, and you're trying to find a wife there. But note, they speak godly, but he's not going to respond. 
You know, when we're whipped up by our flesh, the last thing we want is godly counsel. Have you ever noticed that? You just made up your mind, you're going to do it, and I don't care, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. You know, and those people have said to you and to me, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. You ever heard that or said it yourself? Amen? I'm doing it. I don't care. Well, I don't care. I'm doing it. And it's just heartbreaking. What Samson wanted was in direct disobedience to the word of God. He wanted what his flesh wanted. It says in Deuteronomy, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Is that pretty clear? Don't do it, or the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. And this godly counsel comes from his parents. Hey, isn't there one amongst our own people? And here's his response to godly counsel from his parents. Go get, no, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Get her for me because she's the woman God has for me. That's not what it says, is it? Because this is not the woman God has for him. Samson didn't want what was right, but what pleased him. His flesh was ruling his life. He was not concerned with what God wanted, but what he wanted. He disregarded God's word. He disregarded godly counsel, and he demanded what his flesh wanted. Again, as I've said before, this is still prevalent today. Bound by romantic feelings, men will disregard God's word and godly counsel and demand what their flesh wants. And then it won't be long before they're in a place where they're crying out, saying, what have I done? We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? But he came to church that one time and... No. Well, you know, he, he's been coming with me lately. Guys will do anything. They are liars. Amen? And girls, some girls say, hey, the point is this. You shouldn't just be satisfied because he walked in and I'll pray to prayer one day and you saw him one time, you know, with his Bible. Hey, he better be on fire for God. She better be on fire for God. Amen? Amen? You don't want maybe kind of saved a little. No, on fire. In fuego for Jesus. Nothing less than that. Amen? That's what you want. And Samson's like, you know, he thought she was hot, but not spiritually. And he said, I want her. Get her. You know, don't just look for one of those who's taken the name Christian, but look for someone who's passionately in love with Jesus. Look at verse 4. But his father and mother did not know it was of the Lord. Of the Lord? What? Of the... Didn't you just say he was acting contrary to God's will? The point here is this. Not that Samson's behavior is acceptable, but that God will still get his will done in spite of it. Guys, God's will is going to be accomplished with us or without us. Key point, the end does not justify the means because God come, good comes of it does not justify ungodly behavior. God's going to use Samson to bring about his purposes, not because he was faithful, but in spite of his sinful behavior. The results are the same, but Samson misses out on the blessing. Guys, God's will is going to be done, and we can either be a part of it and be blessed or we can be acting contrary to it and have his will be done in spite of us. Lord, let us walk in the center of your will. Lord, work through me, not in spite of me. Amen? Samson's going to deal with some heavy consequences in a moment. Compromise, the enemy of calling. Being led by the flesh, not by the spirit. Walking in direct disobedience to the word of God. His father and mother did not know it was of the Lord that he was seeking on occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Thirdly, taking his vow of separation lightly. We're going to see this through the rest of this text this evening. It says there, verse 5, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came to the, everybody say that, what does it say? Vineyards. Wait a minute. Don't you have the Nazarite vow? What's the answer? Part of the Nazarite vow is you're not to drink alcohol. You're not to, to eat grapes. You're not to have seeds. You're not to have skins. Not, what are you doing in a vineyard? Amen? 
Guys, we don't hang out where all the ungodly behavior is encompassing us. We are to flee youthful lust. This shows that he's not taking his vow of separation seriously. He is compromising. He goes down into the vineyard. He is surrounded by temptation. He is surrounded by the very things that he was to be separated from. This is one of the last places Samson should be walking is through a vineyard. But no, once we compromise in one area of life, it becomes easier to compromise in others. He saw a woman. He lusted after her. Hey, go down through the vineyard to get her. What's the big deal? You've already compromised in this area of your life. What difference does it make if you compromise over here? It's interesting to see what happens. Watch what happens. This is, look what it says. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. He's walking through a vineyard where he shouldn't have been, going after a woman he should have had nothing to do with, in a land that he was not supposed to go into unless he was fighting a battle, and then a lion shows up. Well, it's not by chance that the Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And where does he find you the most susceptible? When you're walking outside of God's will. When you are compromising your faith. When you're walking in the place where you were never meant to be, pursuing the things you were never meant to pursue, the enemy's going to show up and see that as a great opportunity to bring you down heading down toward timnah samson seems to make a detour without his parents through the vineyards walking in the midst of sinful temptation by choice and when we're complacent in our walk the enemy is right there ready to pounce again it says be sober isn't that interesting first peter 8 says be sober you're not going to don't be in a vineyard be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Samson, out of God's will, off the track, without accountability, and the enemy pounces. Now watch what happens. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart. Now is this God's grace or what? You go where you shouldn't be, doing the things you shouldn't be doing, pursuing the things you should have nothing to do with, and then God, by His grace, with temptation, makes a way of escape or empowers us to overcome temptation. That's what happened here with Samson. God gave him and empowered him by His Spirit to overcome the enemy's attack. Praise God that He gives us that same promise. That with temptation, what does He do? He makes a what? A way of escape. God is faithful that when the enemy comes, that he is greater still, and he makes the way of escape, and he empowers Samson to overcome the temptation of the enemy. Key to having victory over Satan in the midst of temptation is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, empowered by the Spirit at baptism, went straight out into the desert and overcame temptation. Not by might, not by the power, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. You don't overcome temptation by just, you know, sucking it up. Ah, I'm just going to try hard. It's not going to work. Amen? That's why, you know, that's why New Year's resolutions crash and burn. I'm going to try harder. I made up my mind. This is what I'm going to do. Now, again, if the Holy Spirit empowers you for a New Year's resolution, you can do it. But if you're just trying harder, yeah, not so much. There you go. Yeah, January 3rd, you're going, well, uh, how about something less? Now, watch what it says here. So he tears the lion apart, and it says there, as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Why didn't he tell his mom and his dad? Because he knew they'd say, what were you doing in the vineyard? Right? He knew that if I go tell mom and dad, they're godly, and I can't tell them where I was or what I was doing, so I have to hide my behavior. Guys, if you've got parts of your life that you're hiding from your Christian friends, something's wrong. If you don't want to be accountable to people, boy, we need to bring that behavior out into the light. Now notice what happens. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. This spiritually dead idol worshiper pleased him well. Why? Because she was a wonderful conversationalist? I don't think so. 
I think this has everything to do with his she-weakness. Because he's a man being driven by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Verse 8, After some time, when he returned to get her, He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. This is so much like a guy. So he goes home, he hangs out with her, he likes her. He goes home, and now he's going back, going back through the vineyard again. And as he's going through the vineyard, the place he shouldn't have been, to go see the woman he shouldn't have had anything to do with, amongst the people he should not have been hanging out with, he, like a guy, wants to go see the lion carcass. Right? You know, killed that thing. I'm going to go check that out. And that's what happened. Right? Is that a guy thing or what? Now remember, he's not to drink wine. He's also not to touch what? Anything dead. So you got a dead lion in a vineyard. Samson, what are you doing here? You should not be here. And Samson's walking through the vineyard where you shouldn't have been, and he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion. Verse 8, And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. So he walks upon the lion, and in the lion, these bees have turned it into a place to, you know, make honey. Now, I don't know about you, it doesn't sound all that appetizing to me. A dead lion filled with honey, I'm thinking not so much. But here he is walking in the flesh and, you know, proud of his achievement. He killed a lion. He's in the vineyard where he shouldn't have been. And then what it says, he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So he ate the honey he had taken out of the dead body, violating his Nazarite vow to touch no dead thing. Honey. You know, the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. It can appear very sweet, but when you touch it, it defiles you. This was a temptation that appeared sweet to him, pleasurable for a season. There was a sweetness to it, but as soon as he went to touch it, it brought defilement upon him. That's exactly what we see happening here in the life of Samson. In physical eyes, He was looking at the woman, no doubt, saying, she's a honey. She looks good. But in the end, it's going to be death. Doesn't tell his parents. Why not? I believe it reflects that he knows what he did violated his vow. Look what it says. He took it in his hand. He went along eating. But when he came to his father and mother, he gave them some. And they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. I don't think so. You know, isn't it amazing when we try to get people to participate in behavior that is ungodly because we somehow make, you know, makes us feel like it's not as bad if others are doing it. You know, that's the whole world agenda we live in today. You know, force my immorality upon you so that if everybody accepts my behavior, then maybe it's not so bad after all. Guys, it doesn't matter how many people say it's okay. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. And it's going to have consequences. He didn't tell his parents. So now where does he go? So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. Here's what he does. He has a bachelor party. You think I'm kidding? He's having a drinking party with the Philistine guys to celebrate the unequally yoked marriage he's hoping to about, about to have being strengthened by the honey he got out of a dead lion while he was walking through a vineyard. But other than that, Samson's doing pretty good. Is this guy a mess? Talk about compromise. Has he done anything right so far? Not in this text. He's at a drinking party. The guy who's not to do what? Drink. He's at a bachelor party. He's not to drink. He did what the young men used to do, it says there, right? He followed the pattern of the world. Can I encourage you that here's something that can happen to us as Christians. We can listen to what the world does so often, we start to think that that is the pattern. You know, I've been having this debate recently. You know, well, I'm 18 now, so I should be able to do what I want. Well, you got a verse for that. Is there a verse for that? I don't, do you see one? I don't see one. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Amen. It doesn't matter, well, but the world, I don't care what the world says. What does the Bible say? Right? Hey, by the way, you turn 18, that means you can vote, means you can be drafted. Right? 
But it doesn't mean anything more. Biblically, you still honor your parents, amen? And you know what? If you're 25 living with your parents, you honor your parents. Why? Because that's biblical. But we can start to follow after what the world says the standard is. And that's what Samson's doing. Well, they have drinking parties. This is how they celebrate. I want to be like the world. He is so far away from his calling, it is scary. The appointed judge and deliverer called to destroy the very same Philistines is now having a drunken party with them. Notice the progression. Walking through a vineyard to having a drunken party. Samson's compromises have led him so far away from his true calling. Verse 11, And it happened when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So 30 more Philistines come to celebrate his coming wedding to a Philistine idolater. And note, the world is all too quick to join us and even celebrate with us our sinful behavior. Those who love you and those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will not celebrate your sin with you, but will love you enough to confront you. Amen? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will come alongside you and bring you even a word you don't want to hear because he loves you, because she loves you. Boy, he needed to be separated from the world, and instead he's just being surrounded by it. Now watch this, verse 12, Samson has a riddle. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me, within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Now you got to understand in those days, I'll give you 30 new suits. Most people in those days had one suit. He basically said, I'll buy every one of you a brand new wardrobe if you can solve the riddle. So, verse 13, but if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to impose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. What is he talking about? Talking about his sinful behavior when he was eating out of the dead lion carcass. Samson makes a riddle out of his own sinful behavior. He had broken the Nazarite vow when he took the honey from the dead lion carcass, and it's bad enough to disobey God, but it's even worse to make a joke out of your sinful behavior to show how insensitive you are and how, how utterly unconvicted you are about your sin. Guys, when you hear people joking about their sin and turning it into to a riddle or something to, to make light of, something to entertain other people, Boy, that's a sign of a really hard heart. But you know what? Samson's whole motivation here was to trick these guys. The reality is that this riddle has all been impossible to solve, so his sinful behavior was being used to profit him as well. You know, I did something sinful, and now I'm going to make 30 changes of clothes off of it. Verse 15. But what came to pass on the seventh day you're giving him three days to explain the riddle it came to pass on the seventh day they said to samson's wife entice your husband that he may explain this riddle to us or we will burn you and your father's house with fire now these are people you want to have for friends you know you're hanging out with the world hey you know these are the guys in your wedding party going to your betrothed wife and telling her find out the riddle or we're going to set you on fire and your father's house Nice guys. These are people you want to be hanging out with. Samson's deceptive riddle has brought potential harm to his own wife. A woman he shouldn't be marrying, being threatened by men he should have never met, over a riddle he should have never posed, making light of simple action he should have never taken. How's that working out? Samson's consequences for compromise are just beginning. Verse 16. Oh, the rest of 15, excuse me. Have you invited us in in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? They say, hey, we're going to burn your house down because you invited us over here, and now he's just trying to rip us off for 30, you know, 30 sets of clothing, 30 changes of clothing. Verse 16, Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. I'm, I, he's probably the only husband that's ever heard that. You have posed, you have posed a riddle 
to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father my mother, so why should I explain it to you? <laughs> Samson's wife sought to get the answer through, through tears rather than by telling her husband the truth. And guys, marriage requires work in a Christ-centered home, but unequally yoked is a recipe for a disaster. Instead of coming to him in a godly way, she doesn't know God. It's impossible for her to come to him in a godly way. She can only come in a deceiving way. Now again, if you're unequally yoked right now, God's will is that you stay and pray. Amen? And that you lead your spouse to the Lord. But Samson's wife manipulated him with tears, questioning his love for her. Verse 17. Now she had wept on him seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. This is a sign of things to come for Samson. A woman entices him, manipulates him, and then betrays him. Now, I want you to notice something. The seventh day was usually when they consummated the marriage. I'm, I'm trying to be tactful here. But she's like, hey, you better tell me the story. Or you're not going to touch me, basically. All right, well, here's the story, right? He's being enticed because he's being led by his flesh instead of being led by the Spirit. He man, she weak, amen? Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. Notice where her loyalties lie, with her people. Who are her people? Not the children of Israel, not the people set apart unto God, her people are the idolatrous, ungodly, uncircumcised Philistines, which is where he went to find his bride. A match made in heaven, each only focused on what was best for themselves in the relationship. That is never a match made in heaven. That's a match made in the flesh. Both self-centered. Both exhibiting Aaron love. Verse 18. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Now, if you're paying attention, what did he just call his wife? Right? Verse 1 and 2, he had to have her. He's cutting through the vineyard to get her. Right? He's touching dead animals along the way. He gets down there, and he's got to have her. He's getting his parents to go outside of God's will. And you know what? It didn't take long. Seven days into their betrothal period, she's a cow. That's the Bible. I'm not making this up. It's right there. You need to take time to get to know the person you're going to marry. Amen? He didn't know he was engaged to a cow. You know why? Because he shouldn't have been down there anyway. Amen? The woman God has, this is not the woman God has for you. She's of the uncircumcised Philistines. All this grief is a result of his own fleshly behavior. He went outside of God's will and he shouldn't be surprised when it blows up in his face. Verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men and took their apparel and gave the changes of their clothing to those, to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. His motivation was wrong initially, but he went down and began to destroy the very enemy he was called to destroy. But he did it to bring the spoils to those who had solved the riddle. Anything he, anytime you see him doing anything with strength, notice that he's always empowered by the Holy Spirit. Samson, we know, was a man of great strength, but it was not himself in his flesh. It was God by his spirit strengthening him. Amen? Pastor Bill and I were talking about this earlier. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that Samson was yoked. You know, you always see pictures of him, right? He's always some guy with just guns and, you know, traps, and he just, ugh, right? He, he just, just, you know, he, he could have been like, you know, 5, 2, buck 30. We don't know, right? He could have been a little, it would have been all the more impressive for him to be strong if he was a little guy, right? 
Imagine, you know, Pee Wee Herman picking up the gates and, you know, they'd be like, dude, what's up with that guy? And here's what happens. Samson, only time we see him being strong is when the Spirit is upon him. And the only time that you and I will have strength to walk in the center of God's will and to overcome the temptation of the enemy is when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not us being stronger, not us trying harder. His anger was kindled. He got fired up. And then it says in verse 20, And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. This is a great group of guys to hang out with. Your best man already threatened to burn your wife and burn her house if she didn't deceive you. And now he married her, which actually was the best thing that could have happened to him, right? Because he shouldn't have married her to begin with. Guys, we see God's grace even in the midst of Samson's rebellion, allowing circumstances to get him back on track, to deliver him from a marriage to a Philistine woman. He could have avoided all the heartache if he had just obeyed God to begin with. Amen? Compromise is the enemy of calling. You're here tonight, you're called by God. You're uniquely gifted by God. Everybody in this fellowship, as we continue to grow, the Bible tells us, you know, we all have different gifts. Where would be the hearing? If we're all eyes, where would be the hearing? Right? Guys, you have gifts I don't have. I have gifts you don't have. We are to minister one to another. We're all called. The entire body suffers when we compromise. When we allow ourselves to be moved by the flesh instead of being led by the Spirit. Samson, called of God, but unfortunately a man of unreliable character. The three areas of compromise we saw tonight that we can all learn from, being led by the flesh, not by the Spirit, walking in direct disobedience to the Word of God, and taking his vow of separation lightly to be separated from the world. Like Samson, each one of us has a divine calling. Like Samson, with divine calling, God has gifted us and empowered us to serve him faithfully. But like Samson, we have free will to either follow after the Spirit or to walk after the flesh. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to deny the flesh daily, to die to ourselves, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and to walk in the center of his will. Imagine what would happen to Santa Cruz County if just the people in the room, by his grace, were able to do that. Lord, help us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And Lord, we pray that we would leave here encouraged and exhorted, Lord, to surrender ourselves to you. Lord, to not, not dance with the world. Not to meander off the path of holiness into the way that our flesh would lead us. Help us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will, to flee youthful lust. Lord, we know we can't do any of this by our own strength. But, Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, Lord, we ask tonight that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Less of us and more of you. Lord, may we walk out of here just, not only, just baptized, overflowing, Lord. Lord, ministering to the world around us. Lord, not that we would in any way touch your glory, but Lord, that you would be glorified, that lives would be impacted, that your kingdom would be added to. Lord, stir up the gifts within us and let us, Lord, not be distracted by the cares of this life and the things of this world that may entice us, but Lord, instead, may you give us the strength and the power to, with temptation to take that way of escape, to overcome the enemy. So Lord, we come humble and broken before you, we lay our lives at your feet. May we learn from Samson's example, not by following in it, but Lord, by looking from afar and recognizing that being outside of your will, Lord, is just the worst place to be. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.